Suns won twice at home to uh, deadlock their series against the Nuggets. To go around the NBA playoffs, out to the KDUS hotline we go. We're now joined the sports on by Dan Favale, Bleacher Report. And Dan, always good to have you on the show. And before we break down the four conference semifinal series, which team do you think is actually playing the best in these playoffs to date? Um, man, that's a great question. I think you probably have to look at the teams remaining. I gravitate most towards Miami. When you look at some of the personnel that they have available, They've won ugly, but they've gotten some really good games from their supporting cast. Uh, Jimmy Butler, even while missing that game with an ankle injury, he's been spectacular for most of the playoffs, and I think they've put together the most complete performance through the first and second round so far. Always a good response is the first question when you say that I'm asking a great question. So good job there. Thank you. Uh, okay. So we'll continue. Uh, the Suns, uh, they deadlocked their series with the Nuggets. Devin Booker and Kevin Durant obviously provided almost all the scoring, it seems. Even though Monty Booker certainly has made – Monty Williams, excuse me, has made some uh, you know rotation changes – how can Michael Malone and the Nuggets at least try to slow down or do something differently against Booker and Durant? Um, you know, I don't know how much differently they can get. They can throw two at the ball more frequently, but then you just run the risk because those two are playing so many minutes together. Even though Chris Paul is available right now, um, you put yourself in sort of a pick-your-poison situation, and maybe you trust Kevin Durant to make the, the right play less. Um, in, in those coverages than you would Devin Booker, who's just a better passer and more familiar with Phoenix's um, supporting cast overall. But when you look at some of the shots they're hitting, especially what Devin Booker has been doing, especially over these last two games, um, it doesn't feel like they have sort of a, a concrete answer. And I think the biggest thing they could do is maybe you just lean into the Aaron Gordon, Bruce Brown, Contavious Caldwell-Pope lineup. And that's going to probably mean less minutes for, for Michael Porter Jr. when he played 40-plus in game four, or even maybe fewer minutes for, for Jamal Murray, depending on who you're going to sub out for that. That seems like the one nuclear adjustment that uh, Michael Malone can still maybe make. Meanwhile, you know, oftentimes, you know, bench players or, you know, deep uh, you know, starters play better at home and on the road. That's certainly been the case in this series. So who, uh, other than the big two for Denver, who most needs to step up in game three and, uh, or excuse me, game five, uh, on a Tuesday night and beyond for Denver? Um, I think you're going to need a bigger game for Michael Porter Jr. He had an okay um, game three on the road, but uh, he was two of nine from three in, in game four, and that's someone who, whether he's wide open or shooting over the top of someone, you just need that extra offensive punch. Um, and uh, I think that, without a doubt, he's the one that you want to see a big game from in game in game five. And if it's not going to be him, you don't really have that other like detonative offensive option. Aaron Gordon can give you that sometimes, and so can KCP, but that's not necessarily their games. And you, when you also look at Michael Porter Jr., like he's going to be responsible for you know, some one-on-one defensive assignments that maybe you'd rather not have him be in, but he's still going to have to defend well in them to, to hang on the court, or he's going to need to play um, except, exceptional help defense when the Nuggets are going to be more aggressive with their coverages in front of him. And so that's someone who could very much be a barometer for, for how they're faring in Game 5. So what else should we look for as far as you know, any changes from either team in, in Game 5 on Tuesday night? I'll just be very interested to see if Monty Williams continues um, playing the guys that he did specifically in uh, Game 4. We didn't see uh, a lot of Corey Craig in that game. We saw a lot more of Jock Landale. Um, we saw some limited playing time from uh, DeAndre Ayton. Didn't even, it was just over 27 minutes, and I know he did have four fouls 
in this one, but Landale, it's been a better series for him than it has been for DeAndre Ayton, who has also struggled a lot defensively. That's with the caveat that you can't really stop Nicole Jokic, but I'm just very curious to see what the minutes distribution will look like outside of the you know the two players in Devin Booker and, and Kevin Durant. Are you going to see even maybe a little bit, as much as you need the ball handling, you're going to see even less of, of campaign while Chris Paul's out since he struggled this series, and Landry Shamit's coming off this this monster game, do you lean on him even a little bit more? So I'm, I'm fascinated to see how Monty Williams continues distributing the minutes beyond Durant and, and Devin Booker for Phoenix. Yeah, you mentioned uh, the defense and trying to guard Jokic. Uh, the Suns have, you know, the double team stats, those things are a little murky sometimes, but the thing I read this morning is they've double teamed him seven times in the first four games of this series. Is it a good idea to try to double-team him more, or is he such a good passer that it just kind of defeats the purpose? Uh, I tend to lean towards the latter, that I think it kind of defeats the purpose a little bit. But when you're getting such rocky shooting performances from the perimeter, from basically everybody else on the roster, um, even Jamal Murray, who you did a, they did a great job of um, you know kind of keeping him off the three-point line in, in Game 4. Um, like, you could be – in. In theory, you can be more aggressive when the supporting cast is struggling that much, and that's why it's so important that a guy like Aaron Gordon or a guy like Michael Porter Jr. is moving off the ball, um, KCP as well, or Michael Porter Jr. is just hitting his standalone three-pointers because that's going to give uh, the Nuggets even less of an incentive to be aggressive at Jokic. And you'd like to see Michael Porter Jr. and Jamal Murray specifically capitalize on some skill coverage that, that they're seeing as well. So who wins the series? Uh, I had Nuggets in six at the start. Uh, I guess I would maybe shift that to, to Nuggets in seven. I've been super impressed with what I've seen from Phoenix over the, the past two games. But I do think that um, Denver does, with its roster, have a little bit more buses to push as you look to make adjustments over the, the course of a, of a longer series. Uh, I do think the big caveat here is we're watching it right now. It's just the star power at the top of Phoenix's roster clearly upbeats that of of Denver. Um, Devin Booker has just been absolutely mind-melting, and Kevin Durant has largely gotten back on track. And to have those two guys, when Denver still just doesn't have that reliable, consistent number two on defense or offense, for that matter, um, it does put them in a little bit of a bind. All right, Dan, the Lakers won on Saturday night against the Warriors. How should Golden State try to do things differently tonight, I guess, especially, well, really at both ends of the floor? Um, I do think they need to be uh, more aggressive with how they're going to cover Anthony Davis. Uh, he's had sort of this weird pattern of every other game. He's really looking to attack on offense when he gets the ball or moving downhill. Um, and they have pulled Draymond off that assignment at points, but we also saw that when Draymond was on AD, I think it was in game two, that they were able to, that Golden State was able to find some success. And so I, I would expect to maybe see uh, more of that. But they, you know, they looked pretty lifeless. Um, a lot of the time in in game three and so I think they're going to be um, first and foremost more progressive with how they're going at AD in game four okay speaking of that you mentioned the inconsistency rarely is he had consecutive games in the playoffs uh, Davis that have been you know highly effective uh, is there something that they can do differently or is this just the thing that he has to do differently I do think the Lakers could stand to put him in more inventive spots on offense, uh, when when he struggled in a lot of his games, he's just not getting to to the basket, and he really wasn't getting to the basket at the start of the series against Golden State. And so it's a matter of having him set more ball screens so that he can roll, or when he's getting the ball at the the top of the key, like he, he's settling a lot of the times. Um, he needs to try and put the ball 
on the deck, and if the Warriors aren't giving him space, that's when you make the decision as a passer, can you kick it out and, and find someone else. I don't know if that's an, a fatigue thing with him because he's not only playing a bunch of minutes, but he is responsible for, for so much defensively. And they have him needing to contest jumpers while protecting the rim, which is basically an impossible responsibility, but it's something that he, he can handle on some nights, and then other nights it doesn't look like he can. And so I think it, it, it's a thing about both parties, but I think the Lakers have to do a better job of maybe even simplifying his life on offense a bit more or at least putting him in situations where they're carving out space or at least getting his movement to go downhill. Can the Warriors, you know, they haven't exactly been a model consistency offensively from game to game. Is there something that they can do differently? Yeah, I mean, they they need to do a better job of getting to the basket overall as well. That's tough when you do have AD on the floor and when that's not the strength of your roster anyway. Uh, but there's a lot of variance in their three-point shooting where, yes, you can be super hot one night, but then another night you're going to see Clay Thompson go three of nine, Dante DiVincenzo go one of five, Jordan Poole go 0 of four like they did in, in game three. And I think what they did get away from, which worked out very well for them in game two, is you just didn't have the ball in Steph's hands as much. You were running more sort of just traditional pick and rolls in that game. And then you got away from it, it felt like, for, for most, if not all, of, of game three. And so that would be something else I would expect them to explore. Because, no, that's not necessarily going to generate more rim pressure, though it could if you have Draymond and Kevon Moody setting screens. But putting the ball in Steph Curry's hands is just a way to create chaos, even more so than when you have him moving without the ball. And if you're going to play a lot of one big lineups anyway, um, I think you're in a position to where you don't need him off the ball because it's not as critical to put it in Draymond's hands so that you preserve the spacing. So who wins tonight? Uh, I think the Warriors will win. This feels like it's going to be sort of a punchy back-and-forth series. And I would just be I'd be shocked if they lost two in a row um, uh, against this, this Lakers team. I know they've struggled on the road all year, but I think that they miss a lot of three-point looks that they'll probably end up hitting. And then you kind of look at the Lakers. They've had their own up-and-down issues that we've already talked about. They're going to have to decide, will this be a good good D'Angelo Russell game, and then they also kind of have to decide, well, how much does Jared Vanderbilt play when the Warriors just aren't even really defending him on the offensive end? And so um, this feels like it might be a series filled with blowouts or maybe a lot of ugly games that just goes back and forth. Uh, I still think Golden State needs to be the favorite to come out of it, though. Okay, let's flip this to the Eastern Conference. The Heat and the Knicks also play tonight. Not to simplify things, but I'm going to simplify it this question is this series basically if jimmy butler plays miami wins uh basically i would say and right now it's just the knicks offense does not look like it's equipped to go up against miami in general i mean they didn't even have a great game when jimmy butler missed it in game two and you know they've responded well to some bad stretches in the past this season but they need to be um, more aggressive on the offensive end, and they need to not settle as much, not rely on mid-range jumpers as heavily while, while the Heat are making so many threes. They need to get back in transition off their misses. It just feels like they have some different cards that they can play, um, but it just feels like it's the top of their personnel um, is just too inconsistent, and just the way that they've been playing is, is incredibly uninspiring when you're looking specifically at their their half-court offense, even defensively, like Julius Randle having another bad game defensively in um, game three, like just his closeouts just being all over the place or, or non-existent. And so this is a series that, you know, I don't know if I would just predict beating five at this point, but it's one that Miami feels like it's thoroughly going to win. You mentioned the Heat and their three-point shooting, which was kind of erratic at best during the regular season. It was certainly good against Milwaukee. It's been good in this series. 
is this just too of a small sample size, too much of a small sample size to come up with a conclusion here, or is there something to it? I, I think there might be something to it, just because some of the guys that struggle during the regular season are, are coming on now. When you look at a Gabe Vincent or a Max Drews, even a, even a Kyle Lowry, and it's a small sample size, so you don't want to place too much stock into it, but the heat's efficiency did at least start to turn shortly after the all-star break a little bit. And so the fact that we've seen a lot of these players do it before and the fact that, you know, even Jimmy Butler's jump shot looks more effective in the playoffs, that seems to happen every year. I think you can buy into it. And the fact that they're now ahead in their second straight playoff series against what was a, you know, forget about these, but just a better regular season team than them. Um, I think you have to take it seriously. Now, do you buy in the supporting cast long-term as they can just stand pat and continue to maybe contend for a title? That's a different discussion, but I, I don't think that we can just sit here and expect Miami shooting to cool off because it has cooled off a little bit in this series relative to the Milwaukee series and it's still been good enough to just put its opponent in, in really awkward situations. And it was enough to change the Knicks' offensive game plan in the second half of uh, game three where they didn't take enough threes in the, the first half. And they just came out firing in the second half because they knew they had that huge deficit to make up. Sixers and the Celtics are deadlocked, headed back to Boston. You know, the first game, uh, especially the first game, and really even some on Sunday, uh, the basically the, the Sixers got the switches that they wanted. Um, you know, Harden was being guarded, you know, by Horford a lot. Uh, yeah, last night, or excuse me, yesterday afternoon at the end of the game, lots of questions down the stretch. Uh, what Boston was doing defensively or obviously in the last possession – is Joe Mazzulla being outcoached in this series by Doc Rivers? I don't know if he's being outcoached because he did make his own adjustments in game two um, when you look at how they were pressuring James Harden specifically. Um, you can question whether he should have called a timeout um, at the end of regulation where Boston ends up not even getting a shot off before the, the final buzzer. Um, but like Doc Rivers, has, I, I think he's coached a, a pretty good series overall, but a lot of this has come down to um, what James Harden looks like on a game-to-game basis because there's just some nights where he has the burst to get past Al Horford or whoever's defending him um, and other nights where he's going to need to settle or his three-point shot isn't falling. And you can pin some of it, hey, like, let's throw more pressure at James Harden. Why didn't we see uh, even more of that? They were more focused, of course, on getting the ball out of Embiid's hand. So it's certainly a question to ask. I just don't think he's been um, as detrimental, I guess, to the Celtics or even making as much of a negative impact as people seem to be implying at this point. Let me just add one more thing to the, the, the you know the counterpoint there is you know they were so casual coming up the floor. I understand not calling a timeout. We've seen plenty of coaches do that, but I mean it was you know they could have uh, been in a little shown some urgency and maybe gotten another possession out of the game. Um, again, yes, I would agree that there could have been a lot more urgency in that situation. Um, and I, I don't necessarily under, I understand the decision not to call a timeout. If you're going to push the ball, or you don't want Philly's defense to get set. And we saw it do it twice. Um, we saw it at the end of, end of the regulation. We saw it at the end of, of overtime. And yeah. so if you're not going to push right. that urgency, um, that's definitely worth criticism. Uh, but, you know, they were lucky to maybe even be in that situation because Jason Tatum got away with a, a push off on that three pointer to give them, a two-point lead in the first place that kept the game within striking distance yeah. or only allowed to tie rather than go ahead. So I think it's a decision for sure. That's worth criticism. Um, I just don't know. I'd go as far as saying he's been out coached because I don't know that Doc Rivers has necessarily coached this this amazing of a series either. All right, so what are we looking for in Game 5? Uh, I think the barometer is going to be 
kind of like we were looking for in game two, is just how are they going to defend James Harden? And if they're going to be more aggressive defending him, can, is, that, is that going to open more opportunities for Joel Embiid? Or if they're really able to put pressure on Embiid and also get the ball of Harden's hand, who's going to be the third guy on Philly? Um, and it, it has to be Tyrese Maxey by default. He's coming off a not-so-efficient game, uh, game four. Um, but it's going to have to be him if you're going to get one of those trademarks. It feels like every other Harden game, he kind of steps back a little bit bit after after going off. And if it's not going to be him, can you get more out of Tobias Harris, who I think has done a good, relatively good job of making quick decisions with the ball, but he's just not been a consistent offensive presence himself. Yeah, I was just going to say, too, you mentioned you know, Harden, the inconsistency. Maybe you just wait and see if it's a you know, good Harden game or a bad Harden game and then act accordingly. Yeah, I mean, um, I think that could be for sure. But I do think part of the bad Harden game in Game 2 is that Boston was a lot more aggressive in, uh, in going after him. So I'm just yeah. curious to see if they're going to make pull at that, that string again. Okay, so who wins this series? I still think it's Boston. I originally had them in five. I thought Embiid was going to miss more than the initial game, and I wasn't sure what he was going to look like when he came back. Um, I, I guess I would stretch it to seven at this point because of the way they're they're trading punches, and there's definitely a variability in Boston's performance that makes you wonder, like, should they be viewed as just like this, you know, title contender, borderline powerhouse? But they have they have the deeper rotation. They have the more versatile lineups. I think that they, you know, and we've seen it, they've gone with one big a lot of the time because that can give Philly some problems. And I think that just, you know, over time, over the course of the full seven games, um, I think they're more likely to give you two really good trademark performances than Philadelphia's roster at this point. Dan, great stuff as always. We appreciate it. Have fun. Thank you very much. No problem. Thanks for having me. Talk to you soon. Our pleasure. Dan Favale, Bleacher Report. Excellent stuff. Read all his work at Bleacher Report.